back. It's the DC Wash-Up, and I am producer Roscoe Whalen, and is there anyone else here today? Hi. <laughs> Steph, is that you? Yeah, just just me. Is it right if I stay? <laughs> yeah, you can stay because there's no one else here again. I can shuffle papers and sound important. Yeah. <laughs> Soon enough, people are going to start asking questions about what happened to the rest of the uh, North America. <laughs> Where'd you hide Europe. the bodies? <laughs> <laughs> we promise that everyone is around. They're just busy doing other things. They're so, busy doing great things. Well, that's right. And But Steph and I would never let you the listener down with this very important podcast. <laughs> the listener. <laughs> Our one listener. Thank you. Thanks, Mum. <laughs> Steph, n- let's stop with the mucking around. We've got things to talk about. So many things. All right. This week we're going to talk about uh, vanquishing visas. We're going to work out where in the world the Carl Vinson is. We're going to talk about a very exciting election that happened in America this week. Yes, that's right. There was an election here. And we want to talk about Easter. <laughs> basically, uh, and recap that. So let's dive straight into it. Steph, Donald Trump, he got out of D.C. and he didn't go to Mar-a-Lago for a change. He didn't. He headed to the Midwest and to a state that helped deliver him the White House in Wisconsin. What was he doing there? He was in Wisconsin, the home of the Cheesehead Hat, which if you haven't seen one, you have to Google it right this very second. He went to Wisconsin uh, to a tool manufacturing plant called Snap-on Tools um, to essentially announce that he's ordered a review of um, America's temporary visa, temporary worker visa program uh, and to try and change some procurement rules. Uh, now, my favourite part of this whole announcement is the fact that he made his grand statement in front of a American flag that was made out of spanners. <laughs> which I think we can call the Star-Spangled Spanner Banner. Yes. Um, And essentially, on the serious side, though, America has a visa program called the H-1B Visa Program. About 85,000 of these visas are issued every year. Um, In theory, they're supposed to go to high-skilled workers from abroad. Um, The tech industry is really the industry that benefits the most, Uh, and critics essentially say that what these visas do is... Um, take away low-level IT jobs from Americans and also drive down wages for the American worker. Um, What Donald Trump did was say he wants federal agencies to review uh, the effectiveness of this visa program and whether or not it is... um, negatively impacting the American worker and whether or not it's really being used to attract the highest skilled talent possible. Um, It's something that is going to be a slow burn because it's just a review. He didn't go so far as to axe the program or anything like that. Um, But there's going to be some backlash because, like I said, this is something that the tech industry relies on quite a lot. In fact, I think something like 15% of Facebook's American workers are on some kind of temporary visas. Um, And the vast majority of recipients are Indian nationals. Um, So there's no doubt going to be a lot of outrage from not only that that sector, but also Indian nationals in India and in America. Um, And, you know, analysts have said at times when Donald Trump's raised this in the past that what it's going to do is just drive these companies offshore. Like I think Microsoft is one example that, you know, not too long ago moved operations to Canada. 
And this can all be encapsulated in a classic Donald Trump slogan, which is his buy American, hire American policy. So once something it, awkward about saying that, though. Buy American, hire, hire American. American. It just doesn't roll times. off the tongue like America first. <laughs> so, you know, this is once again Donald Trump trying to deliver on a promise. You know, as you say, obviously, there's some conjecture as to whether this will actually provide more jobs for Americans. But is him once again trying to deliver in his first 100 days? And interesting timing as well. And this kind of hire American, buy American, buy American, hire American um, kind of sounds like something that was happening in Australia this week as well. Steph, similarities there between Donald Trump and his friend Malcolm Trumbull? Turnbull? (laughs) Yes. Um, Thanks, Mr Spicer. Um, Yeah, it is really similar to what Malcolm Turnbull, the Australian Prime Minister, has announced um, regarding scrapping the 457 visa, which is essentially the same visa as the H-1B in many respects. Um, And, you know, Malcolm Turnbull described that as putting Australia first. Um, And it was put to him that, you know, you sound a lot like Donald Trump here. So um, it's, yeah, it's not necessarily that either of them, I mean, I'm sure there was no particular um, particular planning with timing or anything, but it is coming at a time when, you know, there is a sort of more nationalist um, uh, sense of, countries sort of becoming more insular. I understand New Zealand also um, made some similar comments as well, um, but I haven't looked them up, so don't quote me on that in great detail. Um, So definitely not, you know, um, neither Donald Trump nor Malcolm Turnbull are isolated in this attempt to try and put their constituents at the forefront. Um, But there's a lot of problems that come with it. And the other issue, the other thing that Donald Trump did, uh, as I said in this executive order, was uh, is trying to get government agencies to prioritise American manufacturers um, in government contracts, particularly as an attempt, we understand, to get US steelmakers back to work again, which is all well and good. But if you start extrapolating that out um, to, you know, buy American... um, it's going to start costing people a lot more because to go into Walmart and buy a T-shirt made in America compared to buying a T-shirt made in Bangladesh is going to be a massive difference and could come as a really stark shock. I mean, this is way down the line, I'm talking. Um, You know, it could be a really um, difficult thing for a lot of his base to accept is that, you know, the price of things is going to have to have to go up and, um, you know, libertarians would probably argue that it should be a choice that the consumer has, whether they buy American or not. And it's just Donald Trump making it easier. But um, it depends on sort of how far they get with this, I suppose. And there is a bit of criticism as well about practising what you preach for Donald Trump and the Trump organisation, obviously. Workers that are from not America um, and also making products that are made in China or overseas. So. Yeah, always make America great again. Hats <laughs> they've got their made in China tag on them. And I think Hillary's T-shirts, at least, um, back during the campaign, they were all made in America. Mm. So, yeah, practice what you preach, Donald. Anyway, so and by the way, Donald Trump won Wisconsin in the November election. If you weren't aware and you missed that because Donald Trump did <laughs> remind the folks in Wisconsin that he loves Wisconsin because he won in Wisconsin. Now, that's what Donald Trump's doing at home. Abroad, he's continuing to have a number of fingers in a number of international pies. Number one this week is trying to locate the Carl Vincent. Steph? It's an aircraft carrier. (laughs) Come on. Where in the world is the Carl Vincent? Well, not where we thought it was. So (laughs) last week, when all the 
rhetoric was really heating up in America around North Korea's weapons program and Donald Trump was saying things like, if China doesn't fix it, we will. Um, he essentially said, we're sending an armada um, to North Korea to, you know, as a show of force. Now, that armada is the US naval strike group, the Carl Vinson, which is an aircraft carrier and a bunch of other ships that have the capacity to not only carry out very um, significant strikes themselves, but they can can intercept ballistic missiles, which is what the concern is around the North Korean regime, that they're building a ballistic missile that one day they'll put a warhead on, which they'll shoot towards America and, hello, World War Three. So it was seen as this, oh, wow, well, you know, America in North Korea keeps testing missiles, um, much to the condemnation of the international community. So it was seen as this real sort of potentially aggressive kind of manoeuvre. And um, some of the Pentagon officials tried to play it down saying, oh, well, you know, it's just part of normal movements. Um, but there was a really um, a really good sense that it was something that was happening. Sean Spicer, the White House press secretary, said, you know, sending these ships steaming towards North Korea sends a message. Um, and, you know, everyone sort of seemed to be on track with the fact that the Carl Vincent was headed to North Korea. Um and was being diverted from carrying out naval exercises with Australia in the Indian Ocean. So we found out a week later <laughs> the Carl Vinson is nowhere near the Korean Peninsula. <laughs> Not the case. The Western Pacific. <laughs> it's been in the Indian Ocean conducting naval exercises with Australians. <laughs> um, naval exercises are something that um, countries plan months and months in advance and they're really difficult to sort of pull out of at the last minute. Um, so we understand when they were sort of saying that they were... Um, and interestingly, because the Defence Secretary, James Mattis, in his original comments about why he was revealing the relocation of the Carl Vincent, he was saying, well, we had to explain why we were pulling out of these exercises with Australia. And now it's like, well, you did the exercises anyway. And we kind of understand that what he was talking about was they pulled out of one particular stop in Fremantle that they were going to make. Um, so it's just another sort of odd series of messaging issues. And the only reason it was revealed that the Carl Vinson is not uh, where it was said to, to be, be in the Western Pacific um, is because the military or the Navy put out a photo of it. On Facebook? On, uh, on its website or right. something. <laughs> cruising past Indonesia on Saturday, <laughs> which was then picked up by a savvy reporter from a defence industry publication saying, hang on a minute, you're supposed to be someplace else. <laughs> so it's very bizarre and it's sort of you – I'd be interested to know, Roscoe, what you think about sort of the way you were listening to Sean Spicer and James Mattis kind of – how did they talk their way back from it today? Well, yeah, James Mattis, his was um, more matter-of-fact and in the sense of, you know, military operations, we can't tell you everything that is happening and going on. We tried to tell you because it was important that it would be going there, but we don't release the schedule of where our, you know, our ships are for security. So, look, yes, it was on its way. It might not have been exactly there. And it all it comes back to It was on its a, way via yeah. another hemisphere. <laughs> it all comes back to just timing and talking about it in the present and past tense, I guess. So Sean Spicer today was a little bit more um, caught up when he was asked about it. His quote was, The president said that we have an armada going towards the peninsula. That's a fact. It happened. It, it is happening, rather. <laughs> <laughs> that sneaky past tense really got him. And and that's kind of what this comes down to is, you know, sure, it's still going, but there was an indication that it was there, drop anchor, we're yeah. sitting here waiting. But, it, I mean, everyone understands it takes a long time for a 
a ship to travel the seas, the Pacific obviously being a, yeah. a vast ocean expanse. But it comes down to this idea, and the question was put to Sean Spicer in the briefing, well, you know, sure, it might have been on its way, and, you know, we weren't precise in the knowledge of where exactly it was, but you've got countries like Japan and South Korea that are allies that were depending on this idea that Donald Trump said there's an armada going to be yeah. on the peninsula. And it wasn't. So what if something did happen? And North Korea did, you know, try a test, a missile test over the weekend, which did fail. But this kind of posturing, it's almost all, all bluster. Yeah, if I was if, an ally, I'd be quite worried, about, especially. Hmm. And it was something that my understanding is that the, you know, media in North Asia and the region... It, it, this produced front pages that this aircraft carrier was... And it's not like it doesn't often go to this mm. place, but it was not what it... It was not what the plan was. So um, clearly that shift was made for that reason and they probably felt emboldened as a result. And it is during a week when you've had North Korea come out and say, we might start doing missile tests on a weekly basis. Um, so you want your, you know, you want your... I mean, when they were talking about this, the Carl Vinson was three and a half thousand miles away, which is, you know, the biggest missile that they have is like three. So anyway, it was just yeah, miles anyway. away. And, <laughs> and all of this in the context as well of um, Vice President Mike Pence, who has been in the region this week talking tough, saying the, the era of strategic significant uh, patience is over. You know, he's talking tough in Japan, in North Korea, in South Korea. He went to the border there. You know, all this sort of stuff is really intense. And they don't even know whether, or they don't, don't even have the carrier there. Yeah, so. but I think it speaks as well to just this um, consistency of messaging and what might seem like very small words and very small mm. things, um, you know, get conflated rightly or wrongly by the media and others. Um, and that's why every word counts. And Donald Trump, and you know, has never been one to be really cautious about his choice of language. And maybe that's something that his administration is sort of realising as well. Um, and whether that would change, who knows? Speaking of conflated, mm. what about the race for Georgia's sixth congressional district? The GA6 <laughs> is the most overblown election in America <laughs> this you year. One tweet. Period. But <laughs> we, but the not. media, are going to pontificate because. Why well, not? yeah. So, <laughs> yes, that's right, everybody. There's been an election in or of some sorts in America this week. Um, it is the race for the sixth congressional district in Georgia, which is the suburbs of Atlanta, basically. This is interesting. Well, only it was in Tom Price's seat who became the health secretary. So when he got his job, yes. they said, oh, we're better. And it's a Republican right, so, district. So let's kind of set the scene of this. Two things. One, yes, Steph is right. There is some suggestion that this is completely overblown and um, the media had nothing better to do than other otherwise follow this race. And the other flip side of that is uh, the Trump empire is already crumbling and it's all over Red Rover for Republicans. Let's just take a step back on both of those things for a second. So we have a runoff, which is in and of itself quite fascinating in that it's like a primary, which we talked about a lot last year on this program. But you run against not only your party for your nomination, but also your, the other party. So Republicans and Democrats were both part of this primary. And in this runoff, we've got John Ossoff, who's a 30-year-old, never elected to public office um, filmmaker who is running for the Democrats. And we have him going up against about 13 Republicans in this runoff. Now, the rules of it are a bit quirky in the sense that if Ossoff 
were to have won 50% of the vote, he would have taken the seat. If he doesn't get 50% of the vote, it will go to a runoff in on June 20th. So this whole talk was Democrats were putting a lot of resources into this race, the chance to steal Tom Price's seat, who is now the Health and Human Services Secretary in the Trump administration. They put, I think, $8 million into this race, most of it from out of state. It was a tight race and an area, as you say, that is traditionally conservative, affluent and Republican. Donald Trump weighed in, you know, in the week of the of the race. It got really tense. There was, was a lot of worry that they might be able to flip it or at least, you know, make the Republican base nervous. He did a robocall down there. They were putting money back into what is typically a safe Republican seat. Long story short, Ossoff fell short by 1.6%. That stinks for him. <laughs> for him. <laughs> by any measure. So what this now means is we're going to a runoff on June 20 between Ossoff and uh, I think it's Karen Handel, who was the former Secretary of State in um, Georgia. So we've got now we've got two candidates, and some will say that this is a show of strength by the resistance against Donald Trump, that in this traditionally affluent uh, Republican sort of suburban seat, one which Donald Trump won in the election by one point, and Mitt Romney won four years before by 23 points. Knife edge. Yep. <laughs> that, you know, it's the tip of the iceberg for, for, the, for the resistance, as they like to call it on the left side of politics now. Or the other side of it is there were 13 Republicans going up against each other, mm. jockeying for the same votes, and Ossoff couldn't even get 50% when he was basically the one candidate for the left. I mean, Steph, you could take a thousand takes on this do you think significant insignificant um, somewhat significant interesting <laughs> all of the above um no i think it is an interesting bellwether and um obviously people look at things like this to you know these little sort of uh, offbeat elections to say yeah well is this is a litmus test for not only the trump administration's performance so far but we've got midterms next year um mm -hmm. and traditionally you know parties don't always do very well in the midterms after a general so um it is really important uh, that both parties get a read on where they stand. And interestingly, it comes after there was another runoff in Kansas. That's right. Um, to replace Mike Pompeo, who's the head of the CIA. Yes. Um, and uh, a Republican won, but it, there was a big swing to the Democrats. So a lot of Democrats celebrated that as, um, look, we're back. Um, and that's something the Democrats have focused on. And a lot of grassroots groups have popped up saying, you know, this is all about um, us reforming and um, using Tea Party tactics to try to, um, you know, make things different in the midterms in 2018. So I do think it is important. I was just being facetious before when I said it was a bit conflated. Um, but I think, you know, what happens in June will be more indicative, as you say, Roscoe, when it's um, not 12 to 1, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, I think we should keep an eye on it. Yeah. Sounds good. And there's another one in Montana next month as well. So we're going to continue to watch all of these mini elections that are going along in America. So let's wrap it up with something lighthearted, Steph. Bill O'Reilly's no, thing. Oh, no, no. Okay. Oh, well, we should maybe mention Bill O'Reilly. <laughs> no, it's fine. Said, Bill O'Reilly, I was trying to think that's probably the most lighthearted thing that's, that's happened this well, week, a celebrity <laughs> falls from grace, but I don't I know. I mean, the, the reasons for which he fell from grace aren't aren't great. Um, Another sex scandal at Fox News. Yeah, well, that's right. So, yeah. I mean, which there's been a couple um, over the past year. So, yeah, Bill O'Reilly, obviously one of the biggest... Um, 
talk show host's names in American cable television. He's out as of today. We only learned that in the last hour or so. So watch that space um, for Fox News moving forward. But I was actually going to end on the Easter egg roll. Oh my gosh, yes. Which you were pretty excited about. I really and enjoyed it. is an annual tradition at the White House, normally um, planned by the First Lady. And kids basically come along and do an Easter egg roll and the president and the president's family gets to look really cute while they play with the children and read books and things like that. Steph, did you have a particular highlight of the Easter egg roll? Did I ever. <laughs> so... I didn't realise it was a tradition until I Googled it, but Donald Trump appears on the balcony in the South Lawn of the White House with Melania and Barron, his son, looking very, you know, very wholesome. And next to him is a giant rabbit that looks like the extra, or the, you know, stand-in for Donnie Darko or something, with these massive glasses and this, like, agape face just standing there next to Trump and occasionally clapping. And then, like, photobombing the woman singing the national anthem, so now she's got rabbit ears. And then, you know, when Trump's photographed from a certain way, he's got rabbit ears. And I just thought it was like, from a PR perspective, whoever thought putting a weird giant rabbit next to the most powerful man in the world just deserves... But it happens every year. There's always some weird bunny thing going on. But, yeah, it was pretty pretty good value. And the C-SPAN coverage obviously had a a strap or a caption when Donald Trump was up there delivering (laughs) his speech. And it's in parenthesis it said, uh, well, it said, President Donald Trump, bracket, left, delivers an address. (laughs) Just in case you weren't sure that a bunny rabbit had become president of the United States. Or that was Donald Trump dressed up. It's just fantastic. All right, we got the giggles. Let's wrap it up here. Thanks for listening as always. And we'll talk to you next week.